when I left the business journal in 16 or 17, and I got pulled into the banking world, I remember being asked to go into banking. And I said, I have no interest in banking. I do not want to be a banker. If there's anything, I don't, I don't want to be that. And the gentleman that was bringing me on, he said, I don't need you to be a banker. We have bankers, but bankers don't do what you do. Could we talk to you about what you did at the business journal? Just doing that for banking. And I was like, I'm all ears. And so it began to unlock my value because sometimes when you're in a system as long as I was, your value is tied to the system or the environment. Outside the environment, there are people that look at you differently. So when I left, I had all these wonderful people say amazing things about me. Like, man, if you're leaving, we'd love to bring you aboard. We will create a role for you. And the bank did. The bank created a role for me. In a corporate world, where all employees have great leaders with no egos that create fun cultures where people can do their best work. The employees and companies thrive while doing great things for the customers, themselves, and each other. Well, we know that rarely happens. I'm Jeff Palaccio. I have been a leader for over 40 years for every t-shirt size company from small 16 employees to extra large over 1 million. Please join me while I interview outstanding leaders that will share stories of great leadership and not so great. It will help you become a better leader while poking fun about all the crazy shit that happens in corporate America. Welcome to The Corporate Couch with Jeff Palaccio. This is part two of Jeff's conversation with Andre Davis as he continues his discussion about life after leaving the Business Journal. So, but 17 years, great run at Kansas City Business Journal. So did you want to leave? Was that a, is this a conscious yes. choice? Oh, here's what I will say about that. I, I have mad respect for the Business Journal. I've been a subscriber since I started in 1990. I continue to be a subscriber. I tell people they should subscribe. You know, sometimes I think your, 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 your tenure at a place can run out over time. I felt like, and this is just, I felt like my value there or my, my tenure there rather had run out. And I made a decision because we had a horrible manager, middle manager, and she was she was attempting to do things that I thought were detrimental to our client base. And I'm very vocal about that, but I'm vocal in a very respectful way. And she wasn't really wanting to hear that. She wanted to continue to do those things. And so and that was just part of the, the issue with her. And it was really with her. And, you know, this is a this is a spiritual moment for me that I would share with people because I'd want them to understand that in life. Sometimes your destiny is in charge and you're not. And all the time, really, your destiny is in charge. And so in the moment where I'm questioning after 17 years, I'm feeling like I have no more value there. Like my time there is up. And I'm not wanting to, to leave or quit or do any of that. But there have been more, multiple things that told me, Andre, you probably need to think about a different career or a different company because this your time is probably going to run out. And in this moment of interacting with this person that wanted us to do something that I felt like, and many of us felt like were detrimental to the clients. Um, we're having a conversation that, you know, got heated from her side. I'm typically really calm in a conversation like that because I think there's power in being calm, by the way. So when people are amped up, you get calm to quiet the noise. And in my head, I said, Jeff, I know I said this. In my head, I said, don't do anything crazy. Uh, you have a mortgage. You haven't planned for this. You have been, there's no place you're going. And what flew out of my mouth was I resigned. 
And I watched, I kid you not, I'm not the most religious person, but I'm very spiritual. I watched myself say, I resigned. And I had nothing in my head that was going to say that. I was going to say that. It flew out, of, it came out of nowhere. And this person said, you'll have to put that in writing. I said, I don't think I am. I'm just going to leave. It's about 830 in the morning. I just came in. And I walk out and my team was like, tell me you're coming back. I said, I'm not coming back. And I didn't grab any of my stuff. I just left. And I hit the highway, Jeff. Keep in mind, my wife at the time, my only wife, I want that to sound right. I don't have any other wives. This is my wife only. But my wife, we were trying to have a baby. And there was no baby. We just, we had miscarriage a year before. We just weren't able in any way. And so um, I hit the highway and I had, I had three thoughts. <laughs> One thought was, I think I just dropped the mic. And then two was, well, what do I do with this skill set that I've acquired? And how do I monetize that? The third thing, though, I was really excited about the next thing. And I had no idea what that meant. And so Anyone that cares about the clients they serve, the first thing I want, I didn't tell my wife I had resigned. I went straight home. I got on my on my laptop. I crafted an email because I felt like I just left my clients hanging and I wanted them to know I was no longer there, but I really enjoyed working with them and someone would be taking care of them. And in the event that I wasn't, that they weren't being taken care of, here's all my personal information. And this is the moment, I promise you, there are moments in your life where the universe will reroute you to your purpose. And this is the moment that Andre Davis was rerouted to his purpose because when I sent that email and hit send for the next two and a half hours, I am answering emails from people like I talked about early where people are saying to me, what are you going to do now? Could we talk to you? Larry Glaze was one of the first people that reached out to me for Jones Lang, Jones Lang LaSalle. And his answer was, well, what are we going to do now? And I said, I don't know. He goes, well, we'd like to create a role for here. Well, what can we talk? I said, well, we should talk something. He goes, great. I'll see you tomorrow at 8 o'clock in the morning. And I'm in his office. I just resigned the day before. The next morning, I'm just talking. And these things were happening. And, and, and the significance of it was I had no place to go. So, my, so here's what happens. My wife calls me, and she says, hey, it's Margarita Monday. Do you want to have margaritas? And this is like at 2 o'clock. And I go, why would I not have margaritas? I'm drinking scotch right now. She goes, why are you drinking scotch? And I go, I resigned today. She said, you did not. I go, I did. She goes, great, let's celebrate. And so that became our thing. And so the bank thing started picking up. I hated that I would never thought in my life I would leave that way. I'm telling you, I had an out of body. And I know this is hard for people to believe. There was nothing, no matter how I was being yelled at and all that, I was still calm. I just said to myself, this is just another path. This is another reason for me to exit and figure out something else for Andre. And in that moment, I resigned, flew out of my mouth. And I can't tell you today where it came from, but I do know where it came from. I do believe there's a higher power that has your destiny and shows up. And that moment was it. And then here's the other thing that I'll stop and let you jump in on. Remember, my wife was not pregnant. So when the banking opportunity was picking up and I was talking to Larry Glaze, I was talking to a lot of different people that were trying to, hey, can we meet? Can we talk? I'd love to talk that. In the meantime, the bank is really picking up. And so I left February 23rd, 2016. It was partly cloudy, about easterly wind, northwest. I don't remember much about the day. And I go and I, I'm, the bank is picking up. 
And April 15th, they bring me on as, as a, a full-time uh, vice president of business development for this bank. They want me to be the face of the bank because this market president is not good at what we do, Jeff, was being out and, and really being in the community and representing. So I was the face of the bank, officer of the bank, paid me a lot of money. Uh, benefits started day one. Two weeks later, remember, there was no baby. Two weeks later, the wife's pregnant. He's now six. You can't tell me that there wasn't a spiritual intervention in that room where I'm being yelled at. And I said, I need to figure out my next thing in my head. And then my out-of-body experience was, I resign. I mean, that, that, that was nowhere in my head. And then all this stuff happens, and it's never stopped. And that's when I think the DeAndre you met was born, was that moment in 2017, February 23rd. Incredible. It's my daughter's birthday, by the way. I love it. I One love of my it. Yeah, I, uh, I, I believe there are no coincidences, and I do believe there's a, uh, whether the universe, God, whatever you believe in, it's, it, it's, uh, you know, it's pushing you to do be where you need to be to achieve your life's purpose, which in my mind is becoming the best version of you that you can become. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, just oh God, I, so many things you say, I just shake my head and yeah, oh yeah, that's true, that's true. That's true. I'm gonna send you a clip, Jeff. There's a clip I watch probably four or five times, four or five times a year, and and I send it to people that are struggling with direction of their life. Right? Uh, Oprah did this whole thing, and I know it sounds funny me saying Oprah, um, but she's been around some very smart people for a long time, and she knows her stuff. She talks about life rerouting. And there are no bad decisions. There are only decisions that allow you to reroute towards your purpose. Everything is moving you towards your purpose, even the failure. And in that moment, I promise you, I had just came from Beaver Creek. My wife and I are in Beaver Creek in September of 2015. And I went there to get my head on because I really wanted to figure out what was my next thing. And it was a good break. Uh, she was up there for a conference. I was with her just to tag along. I needed to decompress. And I did. Had no idea what it meant. But I just was, you know, thinking out in the mountains and doing my thing and and had no idea this would be my life. And so that's why I'm so adamant about helping people, because I got help along the way. Right. There are a lot of people in the business journal that help craft what I am today. And I don't take that for granted. I get. In fact, when I left and went to the bank, I called Joyce Hayhow and I said, can I take you to coffee? And I said, I want to thank you. And she said, well, you take me for what? And I said, she goes, well. I know without you allowing me to get really good at my craft, that bank would have never thought that I could help them. So I want to thank you. And we don't do that to people. We wait till they pass or they get sick and we go, oh my God, he had so much an impact. I'm telling you, the people that impact your life do that before they pass. They need to hear it from you. And I did it for her. She didn't accept it, but I said, it's for you. Weren't for you. I would have I would have never been able to be someone that would have been seen. And it's nice to be seen that way because I didn't necessarily think I was that. But somebody saw me, saw who I was and what I could be. And I have appreciation for that. So that's why I'm so involved in so many things where I'm trying to help people and have an impact on people because so many people had an impact on me. So just to talk about your wife for a second, I know she owns a fitness uh, studio slash gym. Uh, she does. Who, who's in better shape, your wife or yourself? Oh, come on now, Jeff. Stay focused. You know you know, Big Daddy's bringing the thunder every day of the week. <laughs> uh, the good thing about her and I is she's in, she's in really great shape. She's 10 years younger than me. She looks like she's about 22. Uh, and I say that. I only say it to you. I wouldn't say it to her. Um, 
she she's in great shape and she is she eats a lot better than I do, which, you know, because she eats clean helps me be able to manage my nutrition better. Uh, but I, I was always someone that saw value in staying in shape prior to meeting her. And so it, it just it, it we really complement each other well because we care about, you know, health and fitness. But she owns a gym called Excel Wellness Studio in Overland Park. Uh, right on Quivira in college and had it has a business for 15 years. It's brick and mortar. It's a personalized training studio. She trains several of the women who be business winners. So it's interesting because our careers even have connected because of who I know and who I connect with. Oftentimes they're in her gym working out and I get a chance to talk to them there and all that. And so it's just this really, really complimentary uh, partnership that we have, but she's got a really good business. Um, she's really smart. And, and here's what I've learned about her. So I, I do some, obviously, I do a lot of mentoring and coaching stuff, and I'm working with a lot of entrepreneurs right now. But what I've learned about her, I don't ever try to coach her unless she asks me. And all that means is when she asks me my opinion, I have two questions. Do you want me to just listen or do you want me to listen and respond? And depending upon her answer is what I do. So if it's, hey, I want to bounce some ideas off you, would you like me to respond or just listen? Or just listen. I just listen. I love that because men in general, making a stereotypical yep. statement, we want to solve the issue all day long. And I love that. Those two questions. I, and I'm a solver of problems, right? So that's what I do day to day is solve problems or bring people together that can solve problems. So me, when I hear something, okay, well, tell me what you're going to do. Here's what I think you ought to do. And I'm just, so what I did was I just said, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to ask her questions because some, you know, look, sometimes it's not important that you solve it. They want it out of their system and they want it to land on you and they don't want you to do anything else. And I'm okay with that. It's, it's no different than the, than the whole thing when the student's ready, the teacher will appear, right? And so I just, I don't worry about that stuff. When she asks me, I'll go, here's my feedback on that. Yeah, I love it. And to the audience, you don't just get great leadership and career advice. We talk about personal relationships here. That's right. Advice. So thank and you. Quick, and, and really quick, Jeff, I'll tell you, when I learned how to navigate this space of interacting and building relationships, I remember meeting my wife years ago and I was celebrating a good friend of mine who became a judge. He's now a federal judge sworn in by Barack Obama, which is really cool. Local guy came from public school. We both went to Grandview together and we're celebrating at what's now known as Rock Hill, but it was Cashew. We were at Cashew. And so quick story, I don't take up time, but quick story was it was a bunch of us there, a bunch of attorneys in her group. And we all ended up at the same table. And then we ended up going because Ryan maybe is a friend and he had JP's wine bar. We ended up going to JP's wine bar. And then we were celebrating my buddy who became a judge. And at the end of the night, I thought in the beginning, I wasn't interested in her. And, but then as we moved around, she loosened up, felt like there was some synergy there. And I said, I said to her, this has been kind of fun. We should maybe grab coffee sometime. And she hesitated. And I said, huh, that's okay. I'm not a really good fit for everyone. Maybe I'll see you around the city. And it freaked her out. And it just, it made, she, and she fumbled in her purse and got her card out and goes, well, give me a call sometime back. And that's how we started. So there is a business case, but there's also a relationship case personally too, that it's okay not to be a fit for everyone you encounter if you're single, right? Because you shouldn't be a fit for everyone, right? And it's no different than business. Tell your uh, prospecting uh, business development analogy using the first date. I, I love that analogy. Yeah, so I, I, I'm working with Alana Mueller at, at Rockhurst here in, in April. I've been in the last two years, I've been on a panel with her as she does a continuing ed course. And one of the slides I did, I did this for the Better Business Bureau. 
And the, the scenario is simply this. The way that we interact, it, it is, 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 is there is an equivalence to if we were dating and we met one person and we thought, the, let's say you're going to coffee and you have a coffee meeting with a girl or, or a guy that you want to date or a partner that you want to date, right? And it's going really well. And you look at this person, you go, look, this is a really magnificent coffee. Look, my parents are in the car. I have a wedding ring. Why don't we just tie the knot now? Every time I tell that story, I get giggles and laughs, but that's exactly what we do in business. We have one meeting and we think we can solve all their problems. You don't know enough and you need to ask more questions. And so the slide that I used for the Better Business Bureau last year when I did a, uh, a lunch and learn for them, I said, if you dated like you net like you network, you'd all be single. Because we go to coffee and you tell all about yourself and your product, and go, hey, we should do business. And it's essentially just doing a one, it's just like you meeting someone out and having wanting to have a one night stand. You don't know enough, who, who no one's really interested in that, right? And so certainly you'll have people to take you up on your one night stand. Now, with your with your initial offer of doing a product dump on people, you'll get some people to nibble at that. Longevity, it won't pay off for you. And that's what we're interested in. We're interested in the sustainability of it and the long-term effects of it. And, and Simon Sinek talks about the infinite game. This is a part of the infinite game, uh, not the finite game. And so there's a difference. Yeah, it reminds me so much. I love Seth Godin. And, you mm. know, he, he talks about the elevator pitch. He goes, no one ever sold anything in an elevator. That's right. It's that's very, right. It's very similar. That's right. Um, so, Andre, tell me. Obviously, with dating, it's a little less, uh, I'll say, volume related, right? You're, yeah. you're probably not going to meet with, I don't think, you know, 30 <laughs> potential partners a month. Right, right, right. There's so many. I mean, you're meeting constantly, right? You're adding value. That's what yeah. you want to do. You're in the impact business. But right. how do you keep track of people over time, are you using a CRM or do you have an, un you know, Scott Haven says it's all here in his head. Yeah, Scott's a lot, he's a lot younger than us, so he can do that. <laughs> I don't have that Scott Haven's brain, that's yeah. for sure. So how do you do it? Well, I, I think it's 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 no different than knowing your, your kids' names and their friends and, you know, what's significant to them when you're, here's what happens with the brain, right? We're, you can talk about neurotoxins, whatever you want to talk about. Because you're building relationships, your subconscious is always working with you, right? And so you just know the people that you have relationships with, like your friends. You know, if you have a friend in New York, like, hey, I know he's going to be here this week. I need to reach out to him. Or your mind says, you should call this person. He's on your mind. That's not where I keep everything. But to the extent that we certainly have a CRM, but because these are relationships, like the other day, I was just thinking about a gentleman that runs a company here. And I thought, I wrote it down. I go, I need to check in him. So he popped it in my mind for some reason. And I wrote it down because we were meeting monthly because they're sort of revamping how they do business, right? And he asked me my opinion on it. And I just reached out to him yesterday. I said, you, you popped in my head, man. We got to connect. And so it a lot of it's that. And, and the way I take on meetings, because my network has been so good to me. And whenever my network says to me, whether it's you, Scott Havens, Joe Goldberg, Linda Ennicott, whoever that is, uh, that says, here's a person I want you to connect with. I never ask why. I trust them. Why would they waste my time? They've been so good to me in terms of business and our relationship. If there's somebody they think that I can help and impact, I'm meeting. 
what people forget, though, they think that all the meetings and, and, I'll, and I'll bring up a name. Nate Tesmer's a friend. He's a regional president of Chase Bank, been a friend for a while. And I remember a conversation him and I had um, a few years back about he said, Andre, I know when you have coffee, you're just making things happen and your business is just rolling in. And I said, how do you know that? How do you know that's happening for me? Oh, I just know you, man, you're so good at your crap off of this. But when my bankers are out and having coffee and they come back, I asked them, hey, what do we get? And I said, oh, no, you're confused. That's not what this is. It's not that. What you're doing, in my opinion, and this is just an opinion, no one has to believe this or try this or do this. It's just, it's just an experience, but it's experiential because it's tried and true. When I'm meeting with people, what I'm trying to collect are people. And I mean that in its truest form. How do you create an unbelievable advocacy group for you that when you're not in a room, there are people having chatter about you? And those people are the people that are going to impact your business, okay? And your brand is directly tied to that. And so what we talk about is your the market demand for your brand. What is the market demand for your brand? If you can't answer that because you haven't been much of a servant leader or getting value back. When people are in a room chatting about you and you're not in the room, you know you have market demand and a very strong brand. And, I, and, I, and I'm apologize for that because I've worked hard for that. Remember, back in the day, no one knew me. No one was introducing me to people. But I got really good at my craft and I got good, really good about serving people. And that's why there's chatter about me in circles and I don't get. And so for me, it's not counterintuitive because many, even in banking, much of the way I helped the bank was through the network. And they were saying, hey, there's an opportunity here for you guys to think about financing this company. Can I introduce you to this company that's looking for that? And I'm like, absolutely. Same thing happened in the construction world with Bill. I was being introduced, and David Oliver is one of my biggest community advocates in this city, along with Linda Endicott, Scott Havens, Joel Goldberg. I could go on and on of the people that really are, are bringing me into dialogue. And, and not that I need help bring, being brought in, but if you don't know there's a meeting taking place, how would you know to attend the meeting? And so what these people are doing is they're saying, we need Andre in this room. And Scott just did this, right, with a group, and I won't name them, but with a group that felt like I should be in the room, and they asked me to sit on this committee, and I don't know if I am, but I'm trying to figure out if I can make it work. That's the piece. And then when you do, when you're in those rooms, you're 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 building relations authentically, not because you want to get something. And the reason I do that is because when I know that I could add impact to a company, because I've always done, already done the legwork in terms of built the relationship. When I make the call or email or text and say, I was thinking about you. I think there's a way for us to add some value. You want to grab lunch and talk about it? Answer is always yes. Because you did the legwork. Versus you have no relationship. They don't know you from anything. No one's introduced you. No one's talked about you in a room. And you call out and go, hey, we've got this great product lunch. I'd love to tell you about it. The people that write checks won't, won't meet with you. That's not what they do. They want people that have great ideas that can solve problems. Those are the people that that meet with you. And, and one of my rules, Jeff, and I'll stop and let you jump in, but one of my rules with business, and I did this in banking, is I never mention the name of our company. And again, people think that's counterintuitive, but no one cares until they have to care. And the reason I don't do that, because I don't want the agenda and I want the focus to be on the person I'm meeting with. And if you're meeting with the right people, and this is a 
uh, uh, you could uh, italicize this and highlight this. When you're meeting with the right people, they always know who you are. Or they wouldn't be spending time with you. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, it, it was either Bob Berg or again, uh, Seth Godin. It said, no one cares about your product or your quota or how much income you need to make. It's all good. So Andre, I'd like to end with uh, kind of uh, some advice for two different groups of people. One, um, I'm always empathetic to recent college graduates and getting their first job. Um, so what advice do you have for people that are going to graduate here in the May timeframe on advice to get a, a great job? Yeah. I, I love that question. I just did a talk in Nebraska at my alma mater because we launched a scholarship that we fund that now is being endowed. We're really thrilled. We launched it three years ago, and it's for kids of color to uh, have access to money uh, when cars break down and things like that. And we got, you know, we funded it out of pocket for three years, and now we've got it endowed. And so we're really thrilled. And we went up there to meet some of the kids we had funded. And a, a student asked me what it, same thing, what advice, what, what I give them. And my advice would be lean into failure. It is absolutely where all the growth happens. You cannot have success without failure. And it's really not failure. If you think about your GPS and your calendar and you're going to a meeting and you take a wrong turn, the GPS will remind you to turn around. It's the same thing that failure does for us. It allows us to know that we are going down the wrong path, turn around and lean into that. And then we have to ask ourselves, what are we learning in the moment? And so lean into failure, Take your time, be patient. Nothing substantial or sustainable happens overnight. Absolutely nothing. And I wish I could tell you, if you did A, B, and C, this is what happens. It's not what happens. Life is a, life is a series, a series of uh, speed bumps and hiccups and failure and brick walls and no's and go over here and you're not good enough. You have to start working in your craft. And every time you hear that, you have to ask yourself, what am I learning? In this moment, what am I learning? Because everything that I failed that, remember I was, I didn't make it as a football player. Um, I didn't make it really in retail. I didn't really make it, you know, doing the series six, 63 thing. There was something, but I gathered all that experience and I've taken that into every other career since then. And I still use some of those things because I remember where it all started and I don't ever forget. And so I'm humbled about everything that I do, right? Because it's never, it's really never about me. It's always about the person I sit in. So if I'm a new college student, embrace the failure moments, right? It's where really the growth is and have fun with it. Don't continue to film the same thing because that's just silly, but make a mistake and move on and learn from it, right? And, and that's how you start to really understand sort of where you're going to be able to navigate because coming out of school, what you thought you're going to do, you're going to do something polar opposite. I'm doing something completely opposite that I never was in my purview. I never thought this is what I'd be doing for a, a living in a career, especially not the the speaking and the advisory work and the mentoring and, and teaching and pet podcasting. That was never something I thought I would be doing. And here I am. I am doing that thing, right? So, but I, but I was always prepared because I leaned into all the other stuff, right? So I learned all that stuff, which is now got me to the moment with Jeff. Andre, the other group I'd like to help in the podcast is you're recently promoted to a manager. Now you have direct reports for the first time. And while anybody, even individual contributors can be leaders, what, what advice do you have for that 
young person that now is a manager and has direct reports, what leadership advice would you give uh, that person? So here's what I would say about that is you're going to have to figure out the makeup of what I call your bench, like your team. Um, I believe in listening tours and I believe that you have to know what people are after. And that only happens when you're asking people, right? And so much, so much of management, which I don't necessarily care about the management philosophy because I care about the leadership side of it. Leaders jobs are to make others better. That's your job to make other people better. So if, if I'm a new manager and I have this team, I'm going to do, listen, help me understand how to make, make your job better. What are the things that are in your way that prevent you from doing your job? And tell me about you. Like, what do you really like doing? And build a relationship there. And from that, treat everything like a relationship and care about your people. I just talked about the 21st century leadership, bringing the human component back into the workplace. We have to care about the people that enter our jobs and our companies, right? We have to ask them, how are you doing today? Many of our people have trauma. We're not even talking about it. Um, I was lucky enough to go through Father Justin's, um, he's got an e-course that he put out, Social Leader e-course. I went through that last year because I really liked what he was putting out, right? And so we have to understand that the workplace has changed. Now, there's still a resistance to that. And so that's why there's the number one topic for people bringing people in to talk about is leadership and DEI, right? Because we don't really know how to lead, especially in a moment that we see ourselves in right now. We don't know how to lead. And is it work from home? Is it four-day work week? Is it remote? Is it hybrid? We're all trying to figure out what it is. And then some of us are saying, this is what we're going to do. You're going to do it this way or you're out. And we all know what's happening when you do that. People are exiting and they're not going to come back. And so what I'm saying to you, you'd be better served to listen and ask questions of your team. What do you need to be able to do your job the most effective way possible? Tell me about how you work. What do you think you need from me as a manager? When you've had managers, what did you like? What didn't you like? And then what was the relationship like? And listen and implement those things that you hear. That's what it is. It's about leaders are about making people better and developing other leaders. And so I do that. I'm on boards and I lead boards and I go in with a listening ear. Tell me how you guys have done this. How do you feel about how we've done? If you had an idea, what would you want to do next? And allow them to guide you towards whatever that solution should be. Because it's collectively all of us. It can't be one person determining it. Now, there's hard calls you have to make collectively for the group. That's what leaders do. But if, but they all need buy-in. If you read anything right now that's going on, everyone wants, and this is what's happening to Department of Labor, Harvard Business Review. They're always they're all saying the reason people are leaving because the new hybrid work, the things that we needed, we never had say-so in it. We want say so in how we work today. That's what that's what people are pushing back against. And then you have leaders and managers saying, "No, you're going to work this way." Uh, I just posted something about the UK uh, four-day workweek trial. It, you can't argue with the results. Uh, turnover went down sixty percent. Revenue went up thirty-seven percent. And is it for everybody? Maybe not. Should you look into it? Absolutely. Right. And so don't let your emotions drive it. Let your data, let the data drive it. And Jeff, you're a data guy. You get it. This is what you preach, right? Let the data drive your decision. But I believe you have to ask people's input and figure out what is it that they need and deliver that as a leader. Give that to your team and you don't have to worry about 
you know, turnover. And one thing I would add too, also on the folks that are leading teams, stop doing exit interviews. They are useless. They make zero sense because the people are leaving are already leaving and you're asking them now for their input, which you should have asked them in the beginning what their input. And that's why the state interview is a more effective tool. And you can Google stay interview. It's like five questions that you ask people. Implement stay interviews. Get out of the exit interview business because when you hear the information, most teams and organizations aren't reacting to it anyway. So nothing ever changes. So why ask? Why waste the time? It, you're you're being reactionary instead of really being proactive. And the stay interview is more of a proactive tool for you. And so that would be my take on the people that are going to manage people. Make sure you and then lean into what you don't know as a manager. Tell your team, I'm not really good here, so I could use some help. Now I know again. It sounds counterintuitive. Here's what I would tell you from experience. The people, the things that you pretend to know really well, your people know you don't know that. So you lose instant credibility. So for instance, when I came into construction and I went into banking, I would tell people I'm not a banker. You know why? They knew I wasn't a banker. They knew I worked at the business journal. All of a sudden I get this banking job and I'm a banker. That's offensive. I would be offended if I was a banker. If you said Andre was a banker. Construction's the same way. I go into meetings with clients that go, I'm not a construction guy. I happen to work for a construction firm, but I do something completely different. We have the constructability team that knows all this other stuff. What I'm here to do is figure out what are you trying to do and could we add value to that? That's what I'm here to do. And when we figure out we can, we'll bring a constructability team in to be able to mitigate and answer some of those questions. You don't lose credibility. They already know what you don't know and you're pretending you know it and your, your, your credibility is diminishing and then your trust is going out the window and they don't trust you because you're pretending to be something you're not. Be authentic and let people know where you have gaps because those people will come in and help you and in a very authentic way and you will build better trust. Andre, I love that answer. You've been such a great guest. Sometimes I think we're uh, brothers of different mothers. We just have such a similar viewpoint. Uh, we need to work out together. You do. Yeah. Come on. Come on out to the gym, man. We'll, I, we'll, give you, we'll give you a nice little workout. You have uh, bigger arms and I have more hair. But uh, That's right. You, go, so. <laughs> you can't have it all. You just can't have it all. You just can't. <laughs> Thank you so much, Andre. You're very welcome. I enjoyed it. Thank you, Jeff. I just love talking to Andre. Um, he's the only guest uh, so far that can do more push-ups than me. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I just love his, how he leads and relates to people. You know, he, he talks about how his true, you know, people's true worth is determined by how much you've given value than, than you receive. And, you know, he talks about he's in the impact business and you know, it's just a master class of uh, on relationship building. So just incredible. Joe, what takeaways did you have? Uh, the funny thing that I got from him was that story about him going on that job interview and you have to borrow a suit and then the suit didn't even fit. So he just. <laughs> yeah, he had to carry his coat in. <laughs> carry on his yeah, well, it's really hot really out there. Because you know, <laughs> he couldn't put it on. Well, I wonder if the uh, woman said, hey, yeah, yeah. Yeah, please put it on. Like you couldn't even fit into it. But it just brings back all the times, you know, that, that you and I went through in the 80s and 90s where you always, always wore a suit. Uh -huh. And um, and then also where he talked about that he responded to a newspaper ad to get the job. Uh, that brought me back to my own personal memory of the last job uh, 
that I actually had to go out and, and find. Do you even remind the younger viewers, maybe tell them what a newspaper actually is? We, uh, no, <laughs> what a newspaper or what a newspaper is. A newspaper is kind of like a book with that doesn't have covers on it. It's just it's just the paper part of the book. And the, the pages are really, really big. And it used to be the Sunday edition was the big one ads pages. And so there were, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 pages in the Kansas City Star of, of just want ads. And um, a big hunk of them were technology and IT jobs. And uh, one of them that I answered one time when I was in between jobs was uh, for the Capgemini Consulting Group. And uh, so I just and you had to mail it. You had to mail. I had to mail them a resume. resume. Mail them a resume. Hello, I'm responding to this ad. So we didn't have Monster.com and Indeed and all those things like that. Uh, We we had to fight for our own. And um, but anyway, I got that job with Capgemini. I was also interested in the the way that he that he quit a job one time that. You know, he didn't really talk too much about it, but I, I really got the idea that the handwriting was kind of on the wall, and he was starting to read that. And he went in at 8.30 in the morning, had a chat with his boss, and the chat ended with, I resign. Well, you can't just do that. You have to put it in writing. No, I don't think so. I think I'm just walking out. To I love it. Walking yeah, out. Yeah, he said it was, he didn't even plan on doing that. It was no. phenomenal. So he said it was like a spiritual uh, intervention. It was, it was, was I'm not this, religious, but I'm saw spiritual. this saw this white light, you know, and started walking toward it, and went home and started making sure his customers were taken care of, and that kind of reminded me that there are multiple ways of quitting your job, you know, like kind of like the fifty ways of to leave your lover. Some people, when they leave their job, feel like they have to come to some sort of closure, and they have to pass off of all of their responsibilities to other people and make sure that everything is taken care of and everything. And some people have to do like what Andre did and just just rip the Band-Aid off and said, I'm out of here. And either one of those approaches that you do is fine. You you do what you need to be doing at the time. And if you get to Well, the point- he, it was two different things. One, internally, he didn't, he just left, but he called every one of his customers yeah. externally and then they said oh what are you going to do now and they and he started get conversations about jobs and that and I think led to his next job, job. <laughs> led, yeah, led to his phenomenal next offer he took care of the customer to the end and you know said hey if you need anything I, you know i'll help you until they sort it out so mm-hmm. phenomenal and i think that's i think that's great and i love hearing stories like that and then comparing them back to my life because Sometimes I get I get the impression that the the story that I have is is the only story that's out there, you know. And sometimes I've got to learn from other people's stories that there's other ways that things like that happen. So that's uh, that's kind of what I got out of that. Yeah. Any uh, pearls of leadership uh, wisdom you want to talk about? Yeah, I'm reminded now of the uh, the great philosopher and comic book store owner. Stuart Bloom, who once said, it's a little wrong to say that a tomato is a vegetable, but it's very wrong to say it's a suspension bridge. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Corporate Couch. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love for you to take two minutes out of your day to rate us five stars and write a review. Please join me next week to learn from another great leader sharing their professional journey and insights.